Hi, welcome to the Be Lit Podcast, a podcast about Bible studies, book reviews and life chats. I'm your host Kemian and let's dive right in. Hi guys, welcome back to the Be Lit Podcast. Before I get into today's episode, I feel like I need to give like a brief explanation as to where I've been or what's been going on because it has been about six months since the last episode and to be completely honest with you, I don't feel like I've got a good enough excuse as to why I haven't stuck with the schedule that I originally shared. The only thing I can say now is sorry. Sorry for putting it out there that I was going to share an episode every two weeks and I haven't been consistent with that. But in my defense, I have been recording recording over the last maybe two months or so. But I just feel like everything I've recorded hasn't been good enough. So I haven't shared those recordings. And maybe one day I'll share the recordings. But as it stands, I just feel like they're not good enough yet. So I'm just not going to share them. But we are back. I am back. And we are back to another Bible study. We're back to the Bible study segment. So today's episode will be from the Bible study segment. It will be a Bible study type episode and I hope that you will be blessed by it. When I was seven years old I went into a bathroom, a public bathroom and inside this bathroom there was a sign, a sign that I have never forgotten. It might have been posted in two places in the bathroom but I vividly remembered the sign that was posted to the back of one of the cubicles because I was using the cubicle and that's when I read the sign. The sign read, wash your hands, Jesus is watching you. Not wash your hands because it's the right thing to do or the hygienic thing to do, but because Jesus is watching you. Now, the seven-year-old me thought, hmm, why is Jesus in the girl's toilet? Before you judge me, just remember I was seven years old and I was unconverted So that's what my seven-year-old me thought. Why is Jesus in the girl's toilet? But experiences like those build an impression of Jesus in our minds. We see Jesus as this person watching and waiting for us to do something wrong. Or maybe we see Jesus as someone who is a witness against us. But the main idea is that It reinforced that thought, that idea that Jesus is watching and waiting to see us do something wrong. All of that was communicated in a sign, from a sign, in the girl's toilet. In this podcast episode, we are going to be looking at spectators. Actually, the Bible calls them a cloud of witnesses. Today's Bible verse is Hebrews 12, verse 1. It reads, Wherefore? Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The backdrop for Hebrews 12 verse 1 is the entire chapter of Hebrews 11. Paul, the author of Hebrews, lays the foundation for chapter 12 verse 1 by starting at the beginning. He takes us back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 4. 
and he presents to us the first recorded example of a man who lived by faith and lost his life as a result of his faithfulness, Abel. And because of Abel's faithfulness, we have our first witness in the cloud of witnesses that Paul spoke about in Hebrews 12 verse 1. The next person to join this cloud of witnesses was Enoch. Enoch was taken by God to heaven. But before he was taken, it was widely known that he pleased God. Like Abel, he had a testimony that he pleased God. Paul then tells us that it is by faith that we are able to please God. Abel pleased God by faith and so did Enoch. So, so far, we have two incredible examples of men who lived by faith and in doing so, they pleased God and have their spot in this cloud of witnesses found in chapter 12, verse 1. But when we get to verse 7, things are a little bit different. Now, I must put a disclaimer out there. The next statement I'm about to make I'm making it from the standpoint of an untrained layperson's understanding of what I can see when reading the Bible. It's like when we get to verse 7, Paul starts to put everybody in this cloud of witnesses. Now, I don't know everything that Abel and Enoch did in their lives, but we don't know of any of their shortcomings. They must have sinned at some point because it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in the Bible, we don't see their shortcomings. So, back to verse 7. Verse 7, we're introduced to Noah, a man who built an ark by faith, an ark that was then used to save his family from the flood. Noah was a righteous man, a faithful man, but Noah also liked fermented grape juice. But nevertheless, he made his way into the cloud of witnesses. Then we have Abraham, the father of the faithful. When his faithfulness was tested, he was willing to give the son he had loved and longed for, just because God said so. But even the father of the faithful had his shortcomings. He had lied, he had committed adultery, but he too takes his place in this cloud of witnesses. Moses, a great leader and a humble man, but he was a murderer. However, he too takes his place in this crowd of witnesses that surrounds us. Rahab the prostitute that hid the spies also has her position in the crowd. Paul then states that there wouldn't be enough time to tell us about the faith of Gideon, Samson, Jether, David, Samuel and the prophets. By faith these people were able to do what was right and in doing so they experienced mocking, stoning, prison, death and so much more. But despite their faithfulness, they didn't get to see the promise that they hoped for that they longed for, that they lived for. They never saw Christ's birth, life, death, resurrection, but they hoped for it and they believed that it would happen. In the Apostles' day, they saw a partial fulfillment of the promise 
which the heroes of faith longed for and hoped for. And now, in our day, we will see the final part of the fulfillment. So when we get to Hebrews 12 verse 1 and Paul presents this metaphorical crowd of witnesses from the start of the world, from Genesis, from Abel, witnesses who are waiting to see how I will perform, how you will perform. They're all witnesses to what we will, how we will do in this race in seeing the final fulfillment of the promise and when we get to the final verse of Hebrews 11 Paul tells us that they will not be perfected without us we will enter eternal life together the heroes of faith who are standing in this metaphorical cloud of witnesses waiting to see how we will perform not in a judgmental or watching to see if we will do wrong their example wasn't a perfect example but one thing that unites them all is that they all have this testimony that they pleased God that despite the trials that they encountered in their life whether it be lying whether it be drunkenness whether it be adultery and whatever the trial or trying circumstances which they had to endure, the one thread that unites them all is that they all have this testimony that they please God through faith. What I like about Hebrews 11 is that it's not a showroom for perfect people who live by faith. In fact, we see messed up people, messed up people who did bad things in their lives, but at some point, they understood that the only way to please God is to live by faith. And when I was studying Hebrews 11, I came across a wonderful section in a commentary by Albert Barnes. And I'm just going to skim over a bit of it in this episode and I will leave the link or how to, how to access more about this commentary on Hebrews 11 verse 40 it reads there is no part of the New Testament of more value than this chapter none which deserves to be more patiently studied or which may be more frequently applied to the circumstances of Christians these invaluable records are adapted to sustain us in times of trial temptation and persecution to show us what faith has done in days that are past and what it may still do in similar circumstances nothing can better show the value and power of faith or of true religion than the records in this chapter it has done what nothing else could do it has enabled people to endure what nothing else would enable them to bear. And it has shown its power in inducing them to give up at the command of God what the human heart holds most dear. And among the lessons which we may derive from the study of the portion of the divine truth, let us learn from the example of Abel, 
to continue to offer to God the sacrifice of true piety which he requires, though we may be taunted or oppressed by our nearest kindred. From Enoch, to walk with God, though surrounded by a wicked world, and to look to the blessed translation to heaven which awaits all the righteous. From Noah, to comply with the directions of God, and to make all needful preparation for the future events which he has predicted, in which we are to be interested, as death, judgment and eternity. Though the events may seem to be remote, and though there may be no visible indication of their coming, and though the world may deride our faith and our fears, and from Abraham, to leave country, home, kindred if God calls us to and to go where he commands through deserts and wilds and among strange people and like him also to be ready to give up the dearest objects in our earthly affection from that of Moses to be willing to leave all the pomp and splendor of the world all our brilliant prospects and hopes and welcome poverty reproach and suffering that we may identify ourselves with the people of God. And from the examples of those who were driven from the abodes of human beings and exposed to the storms of persecution, let us learn to bear every trial and to be ready at any moment to lay down our lives in the cause and truth of God. And all those holy men who made these sacrifices, which of them ever regretted it? When he came calmly to look over his life and to review it on the borders of the eternal world. None, not one of them expressed regret that he had given up the world or that he had obeyed the Lord too early, too faithfully or too long. Not Abraham who left his country and kindred, not Moses who abandoned his brilliant prospects in Egypt, not Noah who subjected himself to ridicule and scorn for 120 years, and not one of those who were exposed to lions, to fire, to the edge of the sword, or who were driven away from society as outcasts to wander in pathless deserts or to take up their abodes in caves, even regretted the course which they had chosen. That's an extract from Albert Barnes' Notes on the Whole Bible. In that wonderful chapter of Hebrews 11, we are presented with examples of men and women who believed and demonstrated with their lives that it is possible to live for God. Were they perfect? No. Did they mess up? Oh yes. And as we head back to chapter 12, verse 1, Paul challenges us to put away everything that might hinder us, especially the sin that so easily besets us. In some translation, it's referred to as the sin that so easily entangles us. Lastly, he tells us to run. Run with patience the race that is set out for us. There is so much wrapped up in this verse. Why does he tell us to run? And of all the Christian characteristics, why does he highlight patience? He could have told us to walk or stroll or jog, but he tells us to run. And of all the Christian characteristics, he could have selected knowledge 
or maybe self-control, but he selected patience. Why? From a structural point of view, Hebrews 12 verse 1 shares a lot. We have a metaphorical crowd of witnesses, and in the crowd there is Enoch, David, Daniel, and a vast amount of people who lived by faith. Their testimony and witness is there to remind us that imperfect people can and have pleased God when they lived by faith. And Paul builds this metaphorical imagery that they are watching us, not to see the wrongs we will do, but instead their testimony is there to encourage and cheer us as we take part in the race. The verse also reminds us that we have a part to play. There are some things that we need to get rid of, some things to lay aside. And because of time, I won't go into this part of the verse now, but I will come back to it in a future episode. Verse 1 is also an incomplete thought. In verse 2, we get the complete thought which Paul was and is trying to convey. He tells us to look at Jesus because Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. This is a slight digression. You know what? For a really long time, I heard that statement. Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith. But I didn't know what it meant. We have Paul's metaphorical crowd of witnesses around us. The heroes of faith. We know their lives. We know their bravery their faith, how they pleased God. We also know their shortcomings. But Paul reminds us in verse 2 that we need to look at Jesus. He is before us. The crowd might be around us, but what's before us? An example in the life of Jesus. And he tells us to fix our eyes on that example. I hope that this episode has been a blessing. If it has been, please do share it with someone else. And join me as in the future we'll be looking at the other elements of Hebrews 12 verse 1.